1: Happy Wednesday, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having a great week so far. Going to keep it really simple tonight. Going to talk Clippers-Lakers, and then we're going to talk Knicks-Nets. You guys know the drill. Before we get started, subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements, as well as any other Uh, video content that I produce since we have some limitations on what we can use on YouTube. And then last but not least, if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these shows and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, remember you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. So got to start with the Clippers, obviously, as per my rule with a win. I'm not going to talk too much about them because I did just dive into a bunch of Clippers stuff last night, talking about their win um, over the Cleveland Cavaliers on Monday. But it starts and ends with Paul George, to be honest. He, you know, the Clippers in general struggled a lot offensively to start the season, and they're starting to trend in the right direction now, in large part because of how damn good Paul George is and him playing better basketball. He had a really weird start to the season. I think four of his first five games, he had like 16 points or fewer was not being aggressive to the basket. And remember, that was the big turnaround for Paul George's career. He had this weird stretch where he lost like five consecutive playoff series. And then the player you saw in the 2021 playoffs looked like a top 10 player in this league and a bona fide superstar. And I talked to you guys yesterday, or uh, yeah, yesterday about Monday night's game, about how Paul George, when he's playing like this, which is the combination of shot making with downhill getting to the rim and finishing at a high rate, which puts pressure on the defense that allows him to have more flexibility to get to his jump shot that he's a bonafide superstar because how good he is defensively. And he made a game winner against the Cavs that really overshadowed what was the real game winner in that game, which was him making a defensive play at the rim against Jared Allen. You know, he's got his rim finishing in this recent stretch back up to where it needs to be. He's shooting lights out from everywhere on the floor, He's in high 40s on like 11-plus pull-up jump shot attempts per game. You saw that again tonight as he routinely knocked down shot after shot after shot over the top of excellent Laker defense, and it led the way for the Clippers. But as we go down the roster, that's where you see the difference between these two teams because LeBron James also had a great offensive game. And the two secondary creators in this situation – the Lakers' Anthony Davis, and for the Clippers' Reggie Jackson had pretty rough nights compared to the way that they normally play. We'll get a little bit more into Anthony Davis later. But as it turns out, basketball is a five-on-five sport. And you're going to play probably 8, 9, 10, maybe even 11 guys in a rotation on any given night. And because of the way the game is now, all those guys are going to have the basketball in their hands at various points during the game. And what you saw in this game was a massive chasm in offensive skill level between the supporting players for the Clippers and the supporting players for the Lakers. There's a stretch there in the, I believe it was in the third quarter, where Marcus Morris, with his aggressive spot-up shooting. I talk a lot about that. The difference between, you know, Austin Reeves and Patrick Beverly pump faking every time they catch on the perimeter, versus a guy like Marcus Morris, where you close out on him, and sometimes he'll just shoot right over the top of you, which adds to his gravity, And that level of confidence allows him to knock down shots at a higher level. When you're pump faking at everything, then the one you do shoot, you don't feel really great about. But you're getting high-level spot-up shooting from Marcus Morris. A little bit of post-mismatch attacking there, too, although that's not the way he was playing tonight. John Wall had little bursts. He had a big three, a couple lightning-quick drives to the basket to score. Um, Just when you're stagnant at various points in the game, having a backup guard that can create like that, that's an advantage. They're at the, I believe it was at the start of the fourth quarter. Norman Powell just hit a heater, hitting pull up jump shots, coming over the top of ball screens, and like and and carried the Clippers offensively for a few minutes during the game. And then you got like Zubac hitting a- Akeem Olajuwon moves on on uh, uh, Anthony Davis scoring in the post and bullying him uh, on the offensive glass. He flat out just outplayed Anthony Davis in the second half of this game. That's what you're getting from like your from a player. That's not one of your two best players. And then Luke Kennard, obviously I don't think I've seen him miss a wide open three ever in my entire life. Then I go over to the Lakers and yeah, there was like a little stretch there in the third quarter where Troy Brown Jr. made some plays and nifty little left-handed reverse layup or a pull-up jumper attacking off of the left wing, but you're not getting those little bursts of, high-level basketball from the supporting players on the Lakers? Where's the heater that Austin Reeves catches? Where's the heater that Patrick Beverly catches? Where's the heater, you know, that Max Christie catches or any of these guys? They're not capable of that. And that's just the reality of their roster construction at this point. And, and and again, like we're going to get back to that in a minute because I, I think tonight in particular, we've got to look at Anthony Davis and generally the dynamic between LeBron James and Anthony Davis and their inconsistent play. But as it pertains to the Clippers... That's why it's important to construct your roster in that way. It's not just their switchy wings and everything they can do defensively, and they're one of the best defensive teams in the league. They have guys down the roster that can do things with the basketball when you give them an opportunity to, especially when the defensive scheme is geared in a way that you're chasing reggie jackson over the top of ball screens and corralling him in the paint and there's just openings in the like all game long lakers helping out of that strong side corner as the clippers ball handlers coming off of that left wing getting downhill they're helping out of the right corner which is the easiest kick out in basketball and those are good basketball players over there that are going to make those shots but those guys are all equipped to capitalize on the attention that their two primary creators create Whereas with the Lakers and LeBron James and Anthony Davis are not blameless this season, which we're about to talk about, but you're not getting nearly enough down the roster in that case. It's the most underrated thing that was glossed over in the Russell Westbrook trade is just how important Kyle Kuzma was in his aggressive spot up shooting and his ability to cut to the basket and his his occasional mismatch attacking and his ability to get out and transition. The... The role that Kyle, uh, that Kentavious Caldwell-Pope played in transition, running the floor for layups and corner threes. You know, what he did in general spot-up shooting. You know, the role that Alex Caruso played as a cutter, and he shot 40% from three in his last season with the Lakers. Everything that those guys did was immensely important to what LeBron James and Anthony Davis did on a nightly basis. And instead, you traded that all for Russell Westbrook, who has played all of about 10 good games since he put on a Laker jersey. And that and that and that's where you run into this talent deficit that's hurting you on a night-in-night-out basis. But I did want to spend a couple of minutes talking about LeBron James and Anthony Davis because LeBron finally got going tonight, which we assumed that he would. Like, LeBron's been a great jump shooter pretty much since 2013, you know? Like, he's had a couple of bad seasons in there. But for the most part, from 2013 on, LeBron James is a reliable jump shooter, both off the dribble and off the catch, but especially off the dribble over the course of the last five years or so. And he couldn't make a damn shot to start the year. But you could see that for what it was. He started the season in a slump. Then he got sick. Then he came back against the Cavs and it looked like his legs were back underneath him. He was finishing around the rim better. And you just felt like he was trending in the right direction. The 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 good LeBron game was coming. We assumed it would. But of course, on this particular night, after LeBron gets going, Anthony Davis plays what I thought was his worst game of the season. He got bracketed in the post. So what that means is they're fronting him on one side and then they're uh, offering weak side help directly under the basket to dissuade that over the top pass. It's the exact same scheme that Miami used to shut down Joel Embiid in the second round of the Eastern Conference playoffs last year. But here's the thing. Anthony Davis, that means you don't get to touch the ball in the post tonight, okay? Or at least not often. This might not be the game where you score in the post, but what's your, you haven't been a great post player this year. That's just the reality. What's your elite skill? your elite skill is I've been calling you the best defensive player in basketball this year and the early season favorite for defensive player of the year. That's what you do best. You clean up everybody else's messes. And I thought he did the bare minimum defensively tonight. He did maybe the base concept of his role in the scheme, but he'd made no attempt to go out of his area to clean up other people's messes. I don't know if it's because he was pouting because of the bracketing or if he was just having a bad night or whatever the deal was, but he wasn't nearly good enough with what the Lakers needed from him to do in this particular matchup, with the way that the Clippers were guarding him, then in addition to that, he just got straight up outworked by Zubac almost every time down the floor, being bullied for offensive rebound position. Zubac just um, just going at him in the post. You, like Zubac is a is a master of post positioning, and which uh, t- I've talked about this a lot on the show. Uh, Jokic is the best in the world at this particular thing, but it's about understanding angles and understanding what your advantage is. Zubat does nothing as well as Anthony Davis, except for the fact that he's a little bit stronger, probably, right? A little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. So he knows that if he can just work angles, and when Anthony Davis is leaning too hard to the right, pivot to the left, and when he's leaning too hard to the left, pivot to the right, when he can work those angles against Anthony Davis... He can punish him, but Anthony Davis can make up for that a million times over if he just works hard because he's a better athlete with longer arms and he can recover lost ground, but he was losing that battle and the Lakers are not going to win many basketball games when Anthony Davis is losing to a mid-level center in this league. That's a problem. That's a real problem. And here's the thing. The Lakers are two and nine and their roster limitations. They've absolutely contributed to that. Like we just talked about. If Troy Brown Jr. is the only guy that can make offensive plays off of LeBron James and Anthony Davis, that's a big problem. But they shouldn't be two and nine. They should be something closer to four and seven, five and six. They should be afloat. But instead, they're spiraling into nothing. And the main reason why is their two best players, the guys that this entire roster is catered around, that that this I shouldn't say it's catered around that the roster is dependent on those two guys haven't held up their end of the bargain when anthony davis has been great lebron hasn't when lebron has been great anthony davis hasn't and during the 2020 season when they won the trophy every single night you could count on those two you know lebron Hasn't been a great season for him by any stretch of the imagination, but I had a feeling he would get it going, and I have a feeling he's going to go on a little bit of a run here, especially as their schedule lightens up and he's going to play some better basketball. Outside of the 2020 season, I have no feel for what I'm going to get from Anthony Davis on a nightly basis. If, it, if there's a big game on the schedule, I couldn't tell you if he's going to play well or not. And that didn't used to be the case, and, that, and that's pretty discouraging. But, like, until those two guys figure their thing out to where they both can consistently play well on a nightly basis, there there's no point to any of this. But at the end of the day, in terms of planning, they do have to plan as though those guys will eventually figure it out. One other note there, uh, it looks like LeBron might have tweaked his groin a little bit. They're calling it left leg soreness. Who knows? I wasn't overly concerned by it because it looked like he didn't really react to the injury until several seconds after the actual play. Or so if it was like a pop or a pull or something more serious, you'd probably feel it immediately um, on the move. But who knows? We won't have any intel on that for a little while. Um, and, and as soon as we find out, we can react to that as that goes. But I, I d- it didn't look like anything overly serious. But at the end of the day, like the Lakers, you know, you don't. I always talked about you don't have. Um, and Anthony Davis and LeBron James team miss the playoffs in a league that has 20 of the 30 teams make the playoffs unless a whole bunch of things go wrong. And we're seeing that again. You don't go two and nine with LeBron James and Anthony Davis playing in what? 21 of the 22 available games that doesn't happen unless a whole bunch of things go wrong. And it's funny because if you look at the Lakers kind of like in different phases of the game, you see all these good things. Like their defense when they're locked in is really good. They went on a defensive run in that second quarter. That was extremely impressive flying around, making extra efforts. Anthony Davis on his good nights has looked like a top 10 player. LeBron James tonight looked like a top 10 player. The problem is, is none of those three things have happened at the same time. And if they did, they'd start kicking everybody's ass, but they just can't get those three things going together at the same time. Like this is, and this is the problem with the patient approach because belief starts to fade. The Lakers had an outstanding defensive effort in that second quarter, but their defensive effort was piss poor in the first quarter. They dug themselves a massive hole and they looked like an uninspired team that didn't believe in what they were doing. The, your hard work has to be rewarded with something. For instance, it's like with you guys at your job. If you guys take on extra shifts, take on additional responsibility, whatever it is, you expect to be rewarded. And if you don't get rewarded for it, what are you going to do? You're going to stop working the extra shifts. You're going to stop taking on the additional responsibility because what's the point? You're not getting anything out of it. And that's the problem with what they did. To start the season, Darvin Ham had these guys locked in on the defensive end of the floor, and they were playing great defense. And they went 0-5. They've got nothing for their hard work. And so, what we've seen over the course of the last week, two weeks, is significant defensive slippage. They're not even a top 10 defense anymore after being the second best defense in the league after seven games or so. That's a problem. So what happened is, is during that initial stretch of the season, you you weren't talented enough to win games. And so teams, so the team started to let go of the defensive rope. Now LeBron James is getting going, but the defense isn't there anymore. Not consistently enough. Right. And and that's the problem with that, that whole approach. You sucked belief out of the team and you stopped them from building a positive identity. The uh, uh the Knicks-Nets game, which we're going to talk about here in a few minutes, uh was a blowout. And uh, um the, during the halftime third quarter phase, I, I clicked over to Indiana-Denver, and they almost beat the Nuggets tonight. A Classic tanking game. Fun for your home crowd. Lots of good stuff. Your rookie puts up a bunch of points. And Ben Matherin looks really good, by the way. I'm going to try to find some time to talk about him in the future. Um, but you end up losing, which helps you in the standings, which is all that matters when you're a tanking team. But in that game, I'm watching in the fourth quarter as Buddy Heald is flying off of multiple wide pin downs, drawing multiple defenders and generating wide open threes as the Nuggets are having to send a third defender over to help on that screen and curl action. Like that's, that's something that no Lakers doing right now. I'm watching Miles Turner score out of the short roll, get offensive rebounds. He played defense on Jokic down the stretch of that game as well as I've seen anybody play defense on Jokic. Forced a bunch of minutes. He only scored twice down the stretch of that game. It was an offensive rebound on a play where he got a stop and one of his teammates didn't box out. And in the process, he was out of position and Jokic buried him. And then Jokic ended up hitting a massive pull-up jump shot at the top of the key that Turner defended extremely well. But he got several stops. At one point, I think four stops in a row against Jokic in crunch time of a winnable game. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at this and I'm like, that's a damn good basketball player. And Buddy Heald is a damn good basketball player. And they both addressed very specific needs for the Lakers. Right now, Anthony Davis can't play at the four. He's only playing at the five because the Lakers don't have good enough fives. As a result, they're really small on the perimeter and they're getting beat up and shot over the top by bigger wings everywhere on the floor. Also, Anthony Davis, when he has to play center, is expected to do so much covering in screens and stuff, and when he loses his motor, the Lakers' defense completely disappears, like you saw tonight against the Clippers. If you put him at the four where he can roam around more and you put a legitimate shot-blocking five like Miles Turner next to him, he can phase in and out of the game a little bit more defensively, and it won't be as detrimental. As a matter of fact, because he's not banging with fives all game long, he might have some more energy for that sort of thing. He needs to play the five a lot, but it shouldn't be the only thing that he does. Miles Turner gives you a great mix there. It, sh- it gives you an alternate identity, a big lineup, which the Lakers haven't been able to use all season, and he shoots the ball well, makes plays at a short roll, and he can guard Nikola Jokic in, in, in isolation. That seems like a really valuable player to me. Buddy Heald, I just spent the entire first chunk of this show talking about the lack of offensive skill and the perimeter for the Lakers and the fact that... But LeBron James and Anthony Davis are kicking the ball out to Patrick Beverly and, and Troy Brown Jr. And, and and Lonnie Walker and all these guys that are just pump faking at shots and are in they're 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 not aggressive enough or proficient enough to continue to extend the advantage and to make plays off of attention directed towards LeBron James and Anthony Davis. That's a problem. How nice would it be if you slotted, you know, Buddy Hield into that role? Now suddenly you've got a dependable offensive player out there who, by the way, is shooting the ball extremely well again this year, and by doing that, you slot everybody further down. Now, Austin Reeves, you know uh, uh, is coming off the bench, which I really like Austin Reeves, but that's probably where he belongs. You know I really like Troy Brown Jr, but he's probably a bench wing the the, the Patrick Beverly. Because of what he does defensively, that's a starter-level NBA player. Buddy Heald, starter-level NBA player. LeBron James, starter-level NBA player. Anthony Davis, starter-level NBA player. Miles Turner, starter-level NBA player. You put all your bench guys in bench roles where they belong, everyone's slotted properly, things go up. That deal was on the table. Indiana wanted to do it. There was reports out that it was Rob Polinka that was like, never mind, I want to see them play with Russ for 20 games. And this is the problem. You present them out there at a significant talent disadvantage every single night. And as a result, they've lost belief. And now they're going into an easier stretch of their schedule. And who knows if they're playing good enough basketball to win some games because they look like a team that's down in the dumps right now. There were multiple, multiple reports over the last couple of days from both Adrian Wojnarowski and Sham Sharania that the Lakers are now considering that it may not be worth making a trade at all whatsoever. What did I tell you guys was going to happen this summer? I told you that, that, the, that my biggest fear is that, uh, that Rob Palenka and Jeannie Buss would essentially just be like, hey, let's send them out there like this. They'll be terrible, and then we won't have to make a trade. Because the dirty little secret is, is that Jeannie Buss just wants to get out of the luxury tax. And there's all sorts of intel on that front. Hell, the head coach literally said so after the last game. That they can't get out of that they need to get out of the repeater tax. It's just, you know. This is the last thing I'll say about it. What Rob Polinka and Genie Buss did with this team over the last couple of years is going to be studied for generations after this. (laughs) To take literally a team that started 24 and 3 and then 21-6 and the next year after winning a title, in convincing fashion never truly being threatened. To go from there to 2-9 and with LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the roster. Because not only did you stop LeBron from making the Russell Westbrook mistake, you were too prideful or too cheap to fix the Russell Westbrook mistake. And you convinced yourself that Darvin Ham would be able to fix it. And Darvin Ham's done a great job with the Lakers. He can't fix this. I see Laker fans complaining about lineups on Twitter. What do you expect him to do? Every other team in the league has similar speed bumps. Oh, this guy went cold for a week. Oh, our defense slipped a little bit. Oh, this guy got hurt and he's out for a week. And they stay afloat because the aggregate talent on the roster is enough to stay respectable when they're dealing with speed bumps. The Lakers hit the slightest speed bump, and they get blown out because they simply don't have enough talent. But we all knew that going into this summer, which is why I said that they had one thing they needed to accomplish this summer, make a Russell Westbrook trade that brought back multiple role players that could bolster them around LeBron James and Anthony Davis. They had one job, and they didn't do it. They've played the toughest schedule in the league to start the season, which we all saw when the schedule came out months ago. Which Robin Palinka saw when they had opportunities to make the Pacers trade, they saw the schedule, they knew what was going to happen, and they chose to do this anyway. And, and that's why it's it's we are guys October of 2020 they hoisted the trophy. It is now November of 2022, and this team is the worst team in the league potentially. It's 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 genuinely impressive. All right, on that note, let's move to the early game.
0: Like at your pregame barbecue, while you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Does the craziness of everyday life leave you feeling
1: stressed and shedding? Promo code hoops, H O O P S. That's neutrafol.com, promo code hoops. And the Brooklyn Nets might be a good basketball team. We're going to be diving into the Nets Knicks game tonight. Talk a tiny bit of Knicks, not too much of them, though. Talk a little bit about Jacques Vaughn and a little bit about how Kyrie fits into all of this. We are live on AMP. Thank you guys for coming to hang out. And for those of you guys who are listening on either the podcast feed or on YouTube, remember that AMP is the first place where you guys can get these instant reaction videos. So this was, I'm not going to talk too much about the game itself, because it was kind of boring, as you guys uh, who watched know. Uh, Kind of a heliocentric clinic from KD, as has been the case over the course of the last four games. 12 assists and one turnover. Like I've said, uh, his passing has been... The most impressive thing to me over this stretch, Uh, Seth Curry, who's played a few games for the Nets this year. But this was the first time he looked like Seth Curry, which is obviously encouraging. And he's he's so important to their offense because he is usually the guy who ends up getting left open with all of the stuff that KD and Kyrie usually have done over the years. I thought Ben Simmons continued to make big momentum plays on the defensive end of the floor, although the offensive fit is still a little clunky. And then how about Edmund Sumner? a career night from him made some threes that's been his biggest weakness in his young NBA career um but continues to be fearless attacking the basket a good impressive win first or the third in this stretch i i said after the Kyrie suspension that the nets were staring down potentially a one and four <laughs> stretch over their next five games with Kyrie out unless Ke- kevin durant decided to play inspired basketball, which he absolutely has. And that's the interesting part about all this, not just Kevin Durant, but the Nets as a whole, just playing better basketball. You know, there's an old cliche that you guys have all heard a million times and I've said on this show that winning cures everything. I specifically said that this summer as it pertained to Kevin Durant and Kyrie recommitting to the franchise. There was all this drama, all this baggage. And I said that if they won games to start the season, everything would be fine. But if that they lost games to start the season, all of the baggage would float up to the surface. And really, really it could not have gone worse than it did to start this season. They were very clearly not bought into Steve Nash at all whatsoever. You know, the Seth Curry injury impacted some of their offensive talent a little bit. And then the Kyrie drama cropped up and became a big distraction for them. And from there, from the Kyrie suspension, it really could have gone two ways. It could have gone the first way that I described, which was, you know, just pack it in, you know, mail in these games and blow up the roster. But the other way it could have gone is that they were galvanized by that. And I think there were three things in particular that have led to that turnaround. One is the new voice. You know, Steve Nash was a scapegoat. He flat out was. He did not deserve to be fired in the sense that it's not that his tactical approach was what was wrong with the Nets. However, as I've said so many times on this show, guys, especially big egos, just get sick of voices. They hear the same guy telling them what to do every day for a few years, and they get sick of that guy. And that was why I supported the Frank Vogel firing, even though it wasn't his fault that the Lakers were bad. That's why I supported the Steve Nash firing, even though it wasn't his fault that the Nets were bad. And that's why I would support a Doc Rivers firing, even though it's not necessarily his fault that the Sixers haven't played up to their potential. You get a new voice in the room, Jacques Vaughn, although he's not necessarily a new voice. He's been around the Nets since 2016, but he's a new leadership voice. And the team is playing hard for him in a way that they have not in the past. And then the second big thing there is the lack of the distraction. Everything that comes with uh, Kyrie Irving in, you know, I talked about this a lot uh, earlier this week, like Kevin Durant is like basketball is his top priority. And then like two through five are vacant. And then who knows what's after that, but basketball is all he cares about. And he'll never let anything disrupt that from being his focus in his approach to the game. But Kyrie Irving, well, absolutely. And like, like, you know, like a a bug chasing a light will go off of the basketball track for the latest distraction and throw the team off kilter. That's just the way he is wired. And so getting him out of the picture has got that entire locker room entirely focused on basketball. And that's been a big part of the turnaround. And then last was Kevin Durant, you know, and I, I gave him a shout out on Monday But I don't think we're even giving him enough recognition for what this is. Because let's be clear. This is Kevin freaking Durant. He is a top 10 player in NBA history that is still at the peak of his powers and very capable of leading a team to a championship. He is on a team that does not have enough talent, at least without Kyrie Irving, to win an NBA championship. He has every reason in the world to pack it in and say, screw this, trade me. He's had every reason in the world to do that. He could have been the thing that kept them going down that dark path. And instead, he said, screw this. I'm just going to play basketball to the best of my ability. And it galvanized the team. A new voice at the top, Kevin Durant, 100% focused on basketball. And getting the Kyrie distraction out of the picture has galvanized this team. And it's jarring the results. They were dead last in defense through eight games. Over their last three games coming into tonight, they were number one in the entire league in defensive rating and the only team in the league that held their opponents to less than 100 points per 100 possessions over the previous three games. Over this four-game stretch since the Kyrie suspension, they've held all four opponents under 100 points. What was the other big thing that I said was the Nets' big weakness? Rebounding. They were second to last in the league through eight games. They are plus two in the rebounding margin over the last four games. So they're out-rebounding their opponents since the Kyrie Irving suspension. So simply through buy-in and the galvanization that Kevin Durant brought and that Jacques Vaughn brought, they are a good basketball team again. What did I say this summer? I put the Nets at sixth in my power rankings, if I remember correctly. And they were in that if things go right tier. And uh, it's because on paper, you could not deny the talent. I've I've mentioned this in a show earlier, but I I liked how Zach Lowe was calling him the Dunder Mifflin NBA team because on paper, they were a great basketball team, but so many things had to pan out properly. You don't have to look far to see it. Kevin Durant, I had him as the third best player in the world coming into the season. Kyrie Irving, I think I had him right around 20. Okay, and he is. He's a top 20 player in this league when he's actually engaged In participating in basketball games as opposed to the other things that he likes to do. They have lots of shooting. Patty Mills and Seth Curry and Joe Harris. They've got defensive-minded role players in Ben Simmons and Royce O'Neal and Nick Claxton. They've got potentially reinforcements on the way with T.J. Warren. You know, I like Cam Thomas as a scoring guard. Edmund Sumner has been giving them dribble penetration. They've got basketball players, man. Lots of good ones. And they should be a very good basketball team. But they weren't trying hard, and they were distracted. And KD did, does deserve some blame for that at the start of the season because I think he kind of led the charge on the not caring about Steve Nash thing. Hell, he literally vouched against him over the course of the summer to the owner and tried to get him fired. But what you're seeing is now that things are kind of coming into things are kind of coming together. They're defending at a really high level. They're rebounding at a much better level than they used to. Seth Curry is back, so they've got more offensive punch. They're committed to Jacques Vaughn. Kevin Durant's playing like an MVP. Ben Simmons is finding a spot to help the team on the defensive end. They, you, you, now, the, the, the reality is, is they do have some limitations on the top end, at least with Kyrie out of the picture. And that's where it gets really complicated, because we did get a report, I believe from Sean Serrania, that Kyrie sat down with Adam Silver, and with the Nets, and they have begun the process of trying to return him to basketball. Now, had things continued to go further south, which I had expected them to at the time, um, I don't think you would have seen Kyrie play in a Nets jersey again. But, like, you have to remember why Josiah did this. And I thought it was a bad idea. And, hell, I still think it's a bad idea. But over the summer, the reason why Josiah and Sean Marks were pushing for Kevin Durant's return and pushing for Kyrie Irving to come back was because they believed in that on-paper roster that we just talked about. And make no mistake, if they defend like this and you get Kyrie Irving back into the picture, they're a contender. Yes, they are. Because if you've got Kevin Durant playing like an MVP, and you've got the scoring punch provided by all those things that I just mentioned, and they're defending at a passable level and rebounding, guess what? There's no perfect basketball team out there right now. They're right up there with the rest of the guys. That's how good they can be. So ironically, the winning cures everything might have just saved Kyrie Irving's tenure with the Nets. Because now you're looking at it, and it's like clear that they have a limitation on their top-end ceiling. Kyrie has no trade value. So the only way you can improve the team from limited the way they are now to their ultimate ceiling is by bringing Kyrie back into this mix. And all I would ask is this, and I I would say ask because I'm asking Kevin Durant. If you allow Kyrie Irving to come back into this mix as his buddy, sit down with him and beg him to just keep it about basketball for the next six months. Just beg him as your friend, if you have any cachet there, beg him to keep it about basketball. Because you guys do have an opportunity here. And you are Kevin freaking Durant. And you can still play at an extremely high level. And this team does have potential to make some noise. But you don't have enough talent and you can't trade Kyrie. And so I bet you Josiah is going to try to bring him back. And if he does, you need him invested. And you need him to keep the off-court stuff on the back burner until you guys aren't playing basketball anymore. I know who, who the hell knows what's going to happen. This whole Brooklyn thing has been such a roller coaster over the course of the last few months. I have no idea. I'm not, I, I, I don't know what to expect, but I am genuinely curious. And I will say that it makes me happy to watch Kevin Durant playing basketball on a good team again, um, because he's one of the best players in the league and he's fun to watch. And then last thing before we get out of here, the New York Knicks. I saw that. <laughs> there were five and five coming into tonight. John Holliger of the Athletic had a, a tweet that he sent out where he said something along the lines of like, they were five and five with a dead even point differential, one and one in overtime, the ultimate like 50-50 team. And if you guys remember after the Jalen Brunson off season, I said like they were signing up for mediocrity and this is what you get. And you know, what's funny about that is I, I respect the idea of signing up for mediocrity if you have a plan, but the plan should be get you know, salary and picks attached to each other and go get that big star. And essentially your pitch to him is, Hey, we're building a positive culture here. We've got a coach that we've stuck to for a while. We have a front office that we've stuck to for a while. Look at this. We're playing coherent, respectable basketball. We just need a superstar. And then you trade for that guy and you extend him. And then that's how you build from there. But they got gun shy when Donovan Mitchell was available. And, you know, I'm sure I talked to, Uh, my buddy, Tony Jones, who's a Knicks fan who works for the Athletic, and I asked him, I was like, what are the Knicks saying about all this? And he was like, they're playing the whole like, oh, well, we didn't want Donovan anyway. We wanted somebody different, which is a classic excuse. Uh, But the reality is you better have a good plan then. You better have somebody else in mind Uh, because Donovan's playing like a top five player in the league and you look like you fumbled the bag here a little bit and you are five and six now and, (laughs) and, and look like the same old mediocre Knicks that we've seen over the last couple of years. All right, guys, that is all I have for tonight. As always, I sincerely appreciate your support and I will see you next time.